Have you ever felt overwhelmed while you were trying to live out your Christian life and trying to walk after Jesus Christ in the world that we live in, in a real world? Have you ever felt like you just don't give a rip anymore and sometimes you get to a place where you're like, I just don't even want to think about my faith. I just want to do what I want to do. I don't want to have to wrestle with any of this. That's the context a little bit when you think about the Apostle Paul writing to this new little baby church that has come to faith in Christ. If you haven't been with us over the last number of weeks, just a quick reminder, Paul goes into this little community, this flourishing community for about three to three and a half weeks, starts a little church. This church comes to faith and starts to grow. Persecution comes, Paul has to flee. And so this new little baby church is just sitting there all by itself. But they're now filled with the Holy Spirit of the living God. That's what's happening here. This little church, baby church, not only did Paul get only like three to four weeks to teach them, but the Holy Spirit of the living God is now working in them. And they're trying to figure out how they live out their new faith. And there seems to be a lot to know. And if you're like me, if you grew up in the church, sometimes you feel like, man, there's just a lot to know about how to follow Jesus and what it means to be a Christian. And in their case, and in our case as well today, it's completely foreign sometimes to what they used to think and how they used to live. And their case is completely foreign. There was no Christian faith or environment around them. And all of a sudden, they come to faith in Jesus Christ, and it's contrary and completely different to what they were used to completely different to the culture that they lived in. And all of a sudden, they were starting to have battles about how, inside about how they're supposed to live out their faith when their culture was saying to live a certain way and the Spirit was telling them to live in a different way. And what Paul is going to be talking to them now about the next level of their discipleship is this, that they're being called to grow in purity, they're being called to grow in holiness, they're being called to grow in love, and then he challenges them to live what he calls a proper life. Sounds super easy, doesn't it? Coming from a place where you have no real scripture yet at that time, and you've just heard a, a month of teaching, and now you're being called to grow in purity, grow in holiness, grow in love, and to live a proper life. Paul now, the rest of this book, is going to be giving them instruction. He's writing them these instructions to help them figure out how they ought to live and how they ought to walk. So we're just going to do like we always do and just work our way verse by verse. But we're going to do it a little different today. I'm going to have you stop in the middle at certain points and do a little bit of work. All right? So let's start out with verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, finally then, brothers... We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us, you ought, ought, you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. He says, all right, just as you received from us that you ought to walk in a way that pleases God, and you are doing that, but you ought to continue to increase and to do that more and more. We taught you how you ought to walk to please God, and I'm giving you more instructions so that you know how God sees things, and so you can walk in a way that's pleasing to him. This is not the only place that Paul does this. Um, he does this all over the New Testament. Here's Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, when he's writing to the church at Colossae. He says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so the, to that church as well, he's calling them to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to the Lord, bearing fruit, and in that case, that they would grow in their knowledge and understanding of who the Lord was. So he says, we talked to you about how you ought to walk 
in order that you might please God. And what he's going to do now is kind of unfold that and probably focus on some of the issues that they might have been struggling with. So the, verse 2, he says, For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Nothing is wasted in Scripture. I always want you to remember that. It's important that we slow down sometimes and read slowly to take in what it's saying. And Paul is saying here, for you know that the instructions we gave you weren't just ours. They were from the Lord. We were speaking for the Lord. Now, this is really kind of an important little piece in in, in this passage that I want to remind you about. Here's the thing. We live in a culture that sometimes has taken the Scripture and divided it up and says, here's some things like Jesus taught, and here's like the things his apostles taught, and here's like what the prophets said. I want to remind you that this whole book has been the words of Jesus. All of this is Jesus speaking to us. And when you think about the thread that we've been doing the series before this, well, we're trying to connect it all together because we're wanting to remind you that all of Scripture is pointing us to Jesus, and it's all about Jesus, and it's all spoken by Jesus. And so when you read the apostles and you read Paul talking, it is not like, okay, this is like almost like Jesus talking because they're the apostles. They're really good, but they're not Jesus. This is Jesus speaking through the apostles. So he says, the instructions we gave you were instructions that came through the Lord Jesus. And it's important that we stand firmly, and that's one of the things about Rock Hill and our denomination, we're going to stand firmly on this is the word of God, all of it. And it's all Jesus speaking to us about what he wants us to know. About all kinds of things, including what his character is like, what the nature of salvation is, and in this passage, how we are to live and how we're supposed to live that out. And listen to verse 3, because this goes back to last week. Remember when I boldly told you that I could tell you God's will for your life? used to work at a college, and I'd have students say, Man, I want to figure out who I'm supposed to marry. I'm trying to figure out what career I have. I'm trying to figure out what major I should have. And I I would say to them, that's all great. But the most important thing is the will of God for your life from his word. And Paul says right here, verse 3, this is the will of God. So I can tell you what God's will is for your life right here. Like Paul just told the church in Thessalonica. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. God's will for their life is to be transforming them and sanctifying them and making them holy. And so this is the will of God. What is it? What's God's will for your life and my life? Our sanctification. It is God's will that we are set apart as holy, holy unto God. And he says the first stage of this for them for this is the will of God, your sanctification, was that they would abstain from sexual immorality. They're living in a culture where there weren't very many parameters around sexuality. And the Apostle Paul says, God wants, it is the will of God to sanctify you, which is to set you apart for his purposes. And the starting place for them, one of the starting places, was to abstain from sexual immorality. Paul says this in other places to other churches as well. Ephesians 5.3, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. So he's preaching this to all the churches. And this word here, and, and I won't get into all the Greek here, but I will tell you this, that this word covers a wide spectrum of sexual behavior. 
so broad that we could, we could say it like this, that it covers any kind of sexual behavior that happens outside of the context of the marriage relationship between a man and a woman. Any kind of sexual behavior that comes outside of that context is what this word means when Paul says you must abstain from sexual immorality, including what we can find in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus takes it even a step further and says what happens in your mind is also what becomes sin. So sexual immorality was anything outside of the bounds of sexual relationship between man and woman in action and in thought, man and woman in a marriage. And so he makes this really bold statement, and you can imagine the church in Thessalonica, probably like we could say today, well, this is a hard teaching. It's a hard teaching in their culture. It's a hard teaching in our culture, too. Sometimes it's a very foreign teaching in our culture. But this is what Paul says in verse 3. It is the will of God that you and I would be sanctified and that we would abstain from sexual immorality. And then he says this in verse 4, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Each one of us know how to control our own body in holiness and honor, he said. I want you to think about this for a moment. This is kind of uh, important. I I hope it doesn't seem like a sidebar because it's not intended to be a sidebar. I want us to think about what he means by being able to control his own body in holiness and honor in a culture like we live in today. There's different ways that we look at the world, and we call them a worldview. One of the best ways I found to define a worldview is simply this. It's a set of beliefs about the most important issues in life. That comes from a guy named Ronald Nash uh, in his book, Worldviews in Conflict, but a set of beliefs about the most important issues in life. Every one of us have them. We put, a len- we put lenses on. I'll say certain words, and there'll be certain things that will run through your head. Now, I'm going to use fun ones. I won't use any controversial ones, I don't think. Um, Green Bay Packers. Minnesota Vikings, all right? Certain things, right? My wife cheers, I go, oh no. <laughs> you know, we've got football season coming up again. You know, um, pets, cats, dogs. You're a cat person, you go, oh man, that's awesome. When you hear dogs, you're like, bah, you know? I mean, it's a set of lenses. You hear things, you process, you interpret them, and that's how you see the world. We live in a culture that there's a battle going on about worldviews, and and when it comes to the issue of sexuality let me, and, and this issue of controlling one's body and holiness and honor, let me just show you kind of how this can flesh itself out and how this works out. If you have the worldview that we are just evolved animals and we're just a higher level of evolution because we can process some things and think about some things, but yet we're just still basically animals that are led by instinct and driven by um, passions and instincts that lead us to, to do all the things that we do, Then when it comes to the issue of sexuality, a person just does whatever their instinct tells them to do. And if you see the world like that, it has implications on how you live out sexually and sexuality. And you see it in movies, you see it everywhere that you look, that people are just drug along by these passions and have no ability to show any kind of self-control. And it's just, well, I'm just wired this way, so I'm going to have to go be immoral. (laughs) That's kind of how we are in culture. But I want to remind us that we are created in the image of God. And so all human beings being created in the image of God have some ability to have self-control. We are not just animals that are led by our instincts. And then you go a little farther and you think about those who are followers of Jesus. Not only am I created in the image of God, I'm filled with the spirit of the living God. And that means I actually can have some self-control. 
I can actually say yes to some things and no to some things, and there is actually a power greater than me that can come along and help me as I battle these things in the world that we live in. But it matters where we start. And if, if I don't believe that I have any kind of spirit of the living God in me or that I'm created in the image of God in any way, that I'm just a higher level of animal, then I'm going to just follow those biological instincts. As long as I don't hurt anybody, I can just do what I want. That's part of how it is in our culture today. And guess what? It's part of the way it was in the culture at Thessalonica when Paul wrote this. And Paul is telling them, hey, guess what? You are set apart. God is sanctifying you, setting you apart. And part of that process is to abstain from sexual immorality and have control over one's own body in holiness and in honor. And that you're not just brute beasts. You're created in the image of the living God. And because we're filled with that spirit, we actually can have control over our own bodies and our thoughts and the way that we think and do things. We can have lenses that see the world in a different way. Lenses that see the world like Jesus sees the world. And since we're filled with the Spirit, Paul says that each one of us should control our own body in a way that is holy, in a way that is set apart for God, in a way that is honorable and right and good and admirable. And then he says in verse 5, but not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. Not in uncontrolled passions of lust that have no self-control, no control by God, just doing whatever one wants. And then he takes it a step further, and he says, and make sure that no one transgresses or wrongs his brother in the church and God's people. That should certainly not be the case. That no one would transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Paul says, I've warned you about this. God wants to change this, this part of your life so that sexual immorality isn't just part of who you are and that you just do whatever you want to do. And then he takes it closer home and he says, especially Thessalonica, not within the church, in the confines of the fellowship of God's people. And he warns them that it's serious. It's serious and they need to take it serious. Okay, so now here's your little homework. Right in the middle of the sermon, an application. Here we go. It's the will of God for us to be sanctified through growing in purity. Here's what I want you to write down. You don't have to answer this question today. I just want you to write the question down and take it home and answer it on your own. What areas of purity is God calling you to address today? If it is God's will for you and I to be sanctified through growing in purity, what areas of purity is God calling you to address today? I don't know what's going on in everybody's lives and everybody's hearts and everybody's minds. The Holy Spirit does, and you do. I'm going to invite you this week to spend some time and ask yourself, what areas of purity is God calling me to address? Because verse 7 reminds us, for God has not called us for impurity, but he's called us in holiness. He sanctified us, called us to holiness. God has reached out to you, it says in verse 7. He has called you. He has reached out to you through the power of his Holy Spirit and have drawn you unto himself. And because he's done all that, he's called you to not to continue to worship idols and false gods. He's called us and the church at Thessalonica to a new identity. A new identity which is to be like Christ in holiness, just as Christ is holy. Paul's not the only one who says this. Listen to Peter in 1 Peter 1. 
As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Therefore, verse, nine, verse 8 of back to First Thessalonians, Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. He's saying, I've called you not to impurity. Okay, so that was the first part, calling you away from impurity, but I'm calling you to something, which is holiness. To be set apart and to be made holy. And we talked last week about how, on the one hand, we're set apart, made holy, and God has justified us, and our position before him is holy. On the other hand, this side of heaven, we wrestle with holiness and trying to live out our faith, and we won't have time to unpack that all again today, but we did that last week. And we're reminded here that God has pulled us and called us away from all of that so that we could walk in holiness. And he reminds us it's serious business. If you disregard this, you're disregarding what God says. So the second application this morning, it's God's will that we would be sanctified through growing in holiness. By the way, remember I'm a preacher of good news, right? This is, always, this is all good news, and I'll pull it all together so you can see how awesome this news is. Because the Holy Spirit of the living God wants to empower us to grow in purity, and the Holy Spirit of the living God wants to sanctify us and help us to grow in holiness. So here's the application. I want you to write this down, and I'm going to invite you to do this sometime this week. Ask God to show you three areas of holiness that he wants you to grow in. Sometimes we just are wandering around trying to grow in things and trying to do things, and we forget to stop and ask God, what do you want me to focus on? And so to take a moment and say, Lord, I just want you to show, don't show me everything because I can't handle all of it. (laughs) Give me three things. Show me the three things that you want me to focus on, three areas of holiness that you want me to grow in. And I can guarantee you from personal experience that God will show you. His Holy Spirit will make it clear to you. I did this just a little differently in my own life. I said, God, give me three things in my life that you know, three areas of my character that you know that, that you want to show me that I need to grow in and I need to focus on and I need to pay attention to. Don't give me all of them because I can't handle all of them. And in an hour or two of just quiet and prayer, the Holy Spirit, and when he showed me, I was like, oh, yeah, I totally see it. Yep, <laughs> wrote them down. That's, yep. You pray this, the Holy Spirit will show you three areas that he wants you to grow in holiness, and you'll probably be able to go, yep, I see it. You're right. Now, I don't want you to be overwhelmed by this. I want you to hear the good news that he wants to show you so that you can know what it is that he wants to be doing in your life because it's God's will for your life to be what? Sanctified. Like we've been talking. It's his will for you to be sanctified, one in purity, two in holiness. And then he says in verse 9, Now, concerning brotherly love, a third area, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. He's saying, hey, I don't have to even write you more about this because it's been clear, and we can see this in the first three chapters of First Thessalonians, it's been clear that God's Spirit has been changing you to such a place that you're known for loving one another even throughout the whole region. Even in the short time that you've been in existence as a church, you've been an example to other churches, and you've been in such a place that even the community around you goes, what is up with those guys? Because they love one another. And he goes, God is the one who's taught you that. God's spirit is the one who's done that work in you. God has been doing that in you, so it's just flowing out. So I don't have to teach you more about that. 
But he says, I want you to continue to grow in that. He says, for that indeed is what you are doing, in verse 10, to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do it more and more. He says, just keep at it and do it even more. And this is the fruit. And why does Paul say that he knows that this is God teaching them? Because Jesus says it himself in John 13, right? In John 13, verses 34 and 35, he says, a new command I give to you that you love one another, just as I've loved you, you also ought to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So Paul is saying, so the fact that you're loving people so crazy over here for being new baby Christians is showing us that the fruit of what Christ is doing, because Christ said they'll know that we're disciples by our love. And he says, you're loving over here in such a way, I just want to encourage you to keep doing it more and more. But it's clear that God has taught you. It's clear that the Spirit has worked in you because of your love for one another. Now, here's your homework. If it's God's will that we would be sanctified by growing in brotherly love for one another, the question I have for you, and I'm just going to ask you to write the question, and maybe God will give you the name, or maybe it'll be later this week, but ask God to give you brotherly love for who? Who is it? that you're struggling to show brotherly love to. If it's God's will that we'd be sanctified by growing in brotherly love for one another, the question that you need to ask is who it is that you might be struggling to show brotherly love to. Again, these are questions the Holy Spirit wants to show you. Do you know that when you ask the Holy Spirit to show you stuff in your life, he wants to do that, okay? Now, today we're looking at more of the harder stuff. We can also ask him, hey, Lord, show me who I'm loving well (laughs) and be rejoicing in that. But in this case, it's a good question to ask ourselves, who might I be struggling to love with brotherly love? If sanctification, being set apart as holy for God, includes sexual purity, includes the pursuit of holiness, includes brotherly love, then if I am missing that somewhere, I want that to change because I want to be sanctified, set apart to be used by God. And then he finishes up with this. And to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. He says to go about the business of life. But to do it quietly with no need to draw undue or unneeded attention to yourself. It says, mind your own affairs, not being into everybody else's business or into gossip, into trying to figure out what's going on in everybody else's life. Just kind of minding your own business would be another way to say it. Working with your hands, he says, to provide for yourself so that you're not dependent on others and, and, and it looks proper to outsiders, doing the kind of work that is proper to those who watch you do it and say that this isn't stuff that's wrong or immoral. It's just hard-working, providing for oneself. Essentially, he's saying live a respectful life, a proper life. Do you know of people like that? You've probably been trying to pursue that yourself. But do you know when you read that and hear that, does anybody pop into your mind? I can't help but going through this and thinking about my mom. I mean, she lived that kind of life, raising eight kids, just doing life, changing diapers, loving the neighbor, teaching Sunday school, caring for her parents as they got older, caring for elderly relatives. I mean, just doing all this stuff. I never heard her had time to get into other people's business. (laughs) 
She was too busy just helping people, living quietly, minding her own affairs, working with her hands, a respectful and proper life. That's what Paul is saying that he wants to see happen in the church in Thessalonica. And he's trying to remind them, too, that persecution is coming. So don't, don't make it be, un, you know, don't bring undue attention to yourself. Don't, don't do, be doing things that would draw people to want to persecute you. Spend time over here just living life, doing the right things. Quietly minding one's own affairs, working with their hands. So if it's God's will that we would be sanctified by living quiet, respectful, dignified lives walking properly before outsiders, let me ask you this question. Which of these are you struggling with the most right now? I'm going to invite you to write those four things down. Living a quiet life, a respectful life, a diligent life, or walking properly before outsiders. Which of those four, and maybe those are going well, but which of the four is the one that's hardest for you? Which of the four do you feel like, if I were to put these in an order, this is number four where I struggle sometimes. The first part of this book has been the Apostle Paul talking to him about a variety of things, but the second part of this book is getting down to the nitty-gritty of Christian life, walking the Christian life, walking it with hope, because we're going to talk about the return of Christ, But Paul is instructing this little church, this baby little church, about some very practical things. But guess what? Those very practical things are the will of God for the life of all of his people for the last 2,000 years. And it's the will of God for us today in 2022 in Duluth, Minnesota. This is what he's looking to see happen in our lives. Now here's the good news, all right? almost feels a little heavy preaching this today, but it's not heavy because it's good news. Here's the good news. Jesus died on the cross on your behalf. By faith, your sins can be placed on Christ and you will receive his righteousness. And by faith, when your sins are placed on Christ, the wrath and punishment of God goes upon Christ, not on you. You get the righteousness of Jesus being poured into you. You become justified and forgiven. So if you've been hearing other things today, make sure you hear that. That by faith in Christ, you are justified and forgiven and old things have passed away. But now because of the spirit being poured into us and us being sanctified, new things are happening. We become new creation. And his will for our lives and what he wants to see happen in our lives is this. It's God's will for us to grow in purity, for us to grow in holiness, for us to grow in love, and for us to live a proper life. You might be like me sometimes, and you spend a lot of time running around trying to figure out what you're supposed to do, a lot of time trying to do the right things, a lot of time trying to, how am I supposed to serve God, where am I supposed to serve God? You know, if you think of 50, I'll just say 50-some years, I won't say how many, 50-some years of trying to follow the Lord and doing the different things that he's called me to do. Man, sometimes you can spend a lot of energy in those places, and sometimes the Lord just wants to remind us that the energy that we're supposed to be focusing on, what he really wants to be doing is to sanctify us. Once we've come to, to faith, is to set us apart to be his. And that looks different sometimes than the busyness of doing. He wants us to grow in purity. He wants us to grow in holiness. He wants us to grow in love for one another. And he wants us to grow in a way that we would live a proper life so that others would go, wow, 
that follower of Jesus, he's kind of different over there because he's trying to live in purity and holiness and he seems to want to love and he seems to want to live a quiet life that just is serving God. I don't know where you're at this morning and I don't know how this message lands for you this morning, but I just want to just encourage you and rejoice with you that the spirit of the living God is at work in the life of this church. But here's the things that he wants us to continue to grow in and continue to be able to seek his face on these things. And I just gave you a few simple assignments. I'm going to just challenge you and encourage you to do them. You could hear this and just let it fall on deaf ears, or you could walk away and go, hey, this week I'm going to take the sermon and I'm going to do a little something with it. And I'm going to wrestle with these questions. And I'm going to let God show me what he wants to show me. I want to maybe share it with other trusted people that could hold me accountable and encourage me. And maybe they could help me figure out some of these things. But the good news is the spirit of the living God doesn't leave us where we are. He didn't leave this little church in Thessalonica still worshiping false idols. Still doing all the, the things that they were doing sexually. He didn't leave them there and all the impurity that they were living in. He took them and he transformed them into the image of who? Jesus. Man, that's unbelievable. And guess what? He's taken little old me and he's taken little old you and he's been transforming us into the image of Jesus. That's unbelievable. Praise be to God that he would do that.
Oh, Father. Father, we thank you that although our eyes are dim now and it is hard to see you in the darkest times of life, Lord, that with one day, in one day, our eyes will be unveiled and we will see the beauty that is you. Lord, thank you so much that you sent your son to show us how that is even possible, to make it even possible, Lord. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who comes and dwells within us and empowers us to do all of these things. It's in your son's holy name and by that Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. All right. I, that was a amazing sermon. And I'm so grateful to hear the man, like, this really convicting to me. And I'm going to, like, look at those and I'm like, oh, I'm not one who uh, uh, is quiet. So I need to grow in my <laughs> quietness. Um, but one of the things that I've heard, one of the analogies, analogies that I've heard, when, you, when sometimes when we hear sermons like this, it's a... Um, it's it's like afterward we come, it's like a husband coming to a wife after you've done something very, very wrong with flowers, right? Like that that is one way that we can see things like, oh, I've done all of these horrible things. Oh, Lord, please accept this offering, I guess, uh, because I'm, I'm in a poor standing in front of you. When actually it's more like just bringing flowers because you love him. Um, it's a completely different thing to be bringing flowers as an apology than to bring flowers because you love somebody. And we are able to do those things because Jesus loves us so much. Because Jesus loved us so much that he died for us and then sent his spirit to empower us to do those things. We are no different when we fail today, because it will happen, we will sin today, we are in no different place afterward because Jesus covered that sin entirely, as he did all of our sins in our past. Um, the three words that we use to uh, send people out and the three words that we use to describe how we want our congregants to be growing are display, declare, and delight in the gospel. Delighting in the gospel is really that truth, that because we stand where we stand, entirely on the merits of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we are able to delight and live a life that displays it displays it within this congregation through going out and celebrating a baptism of one of our beloved congregants and then declaring it to the nation. See, like, hey, everybody, look at how beautiful this truth is. So you are not dismissed, you're sent, and I do hope to see you all out at Island Lake here right after the service. We're going to be having some fun. It's kind of cool. Maybe I'm bringing my swimming trunks. My children will want me in the water anyway. That's probably the safest thing. Um, and uh, one more thing, um, just to make things more expedited, if we could all help gather the chairs, bring them up here and put them up there, that, that would be a phenomenal thing. So you are not dismissed, you are sent to display, declare, and delight in that gospel. Go in peace. <laughs>